What's going on, Dolphins fans? Kyle Krabs, Locked on Dolphins. Today on the show, an updated look at the AFC East landscape amidst the Dolphins' offseason improvements. How have the New York Jets done? How have the New England Patriots done? How has that team in Western New York handled their business relative to the Dolphins? A look today, Locked on Dolphins. Tap in. Let's get it. Locked On Dolphins, your daily Miami Dolphins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Oh, Dolphins fans, it's Friday, April 8th, 2022. I'm your host, Kyle Krabs, here on Locked On Dolphins, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, director of scouting at thedraftnetwork.com, your host here on Locked On Dolphins. And I want to thank you guys for making Locked On Dolphins your first Miami Dolphins listen of the day. Today on the show, we're going to be looking at the AFC East. Uh, how have the teams that rival the Miami Dolphins on an annual basis in the division, how have they evolved throughout the course of this offseason? What has their offseason looked like? What kind of successes and failures? And how are they projecting versus the team that existed last year? And um, a good look, deep dive look at how our most important rivals have handled business. So with that in mind, we're going to do a quick recap of what the Miami Dolphins have done to this point in the offseason, and then we will transition and start with the New England Patriots. The Miami Dolphins, of course, have added several critical players to the offensive side of the football, Teron Armstead on a five-year, $75 million contract. Uh, the team added Connor Williams for two years, $14 million. Running back Chase Edmonds, two years, $12 million. Uh, bringing back several key free agents from within. Signing Teddy Bridgewater to serve on, on a one-year deal as the backup quarterback. And, oh, by the way, traded for wide receiver Tyreek Hill. That being the offensive influx in talent uh, and the team trading Devontae Parker as their key departure on that side of the ball, also losing key contributors from last year like Mac Hollins on a one-year, two-year deal to the Raiders, Duke Johnson on a one-year, $1.2 million deal uh, to the Buffalo Bills. So some prominent players who, who were key contributors in 2021, but that honestly said more about the, uh, the Miami Dolphins and their offensive depth chart in 2021 than it did about the players in question. In all, stability on the defensive side of the ball, a massive influx in high-level NFL talent on the offensive side of the ball, a new coach minded and geared towards running the football, running the Shanahan-style offense, and uh, getting that wide zone system established here in South Florida. Good, let's run to the edges and let, let's test your linebackers and safeties all day long and gas them in this South Florida heat. That's been the ideology we've seen applied to the Miami Dolphins. But when I look at the New England Patriots, uh, the New England Patriots offseason has been an interesting one. I think is probably the, the best place to start when you consider, and it, I'm going to frame it in a way that's very pro-Dolphins. And I would expect you to expect nothing less when talking about the Patriots. But the, nothing that I'm about to say is factually incorrect. The Dolphins, the, the Patriots' best defensive player 
left the team this offseason, J.C. Jackson signing a five-year, $82.5 million deal with the L.A. Chargers. The team's best offensive lineman, Shaq Mason, traded to the, New England pa- or to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers from the New England Patriots. Fellow starting offensive lineman left guard in 2021, Ted Karras signed a three-year, $18 million deal with the Cincinnati Bengals. Punt returner Gunnar Olszewski signs a two-year, $4.2 million deal with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Donta Hightower, not re-signed. Kyle Van Noy, not re-signed. Jamie Collins, not re-signed. So, it, oh, by the way, Often, long-time offensive coordinator, like for two decades, no longer with the team. There was a change there this offseason with Josh McDaniels leaving, and the Patriots decided to, hear me out, not replace him. They said, you know what? We got Matt Patricia and Bill Belichick. They're going to co-coordinate that side of the ball, on top of Bill already effectively serving as the coordinator on the defensive side of the ball. So you lost your offensive coordinator for your second-year quarterback. You lost your best offensive lineman. You lost two starting offensive linemen. Your big move was to trade for Devontae Parker, bottom in the league since 2018 in separation amongst all wide receivers in the league. You lost your best defensive player. You lost your team captain on defense. You lost several longtime starters in the defense in Collins, Van Noy, and Hightower in total, plus J.C. Jackson. You lost your punt returner. And on the grand scheme of things, I understand the punt return is not a real high-level appeal. How have the New England Patriots gotten better? Look at their net gains and their net, their net losses are J.C. Jackson, Shaq Mason, Ted Karras, Donta Hightower, Kyle Van Noy, Jamie Collins, Gunnar Olszewski. And their net gains are they brought back Trent Brown, traded for Devontae Parker, signed Jabril Peppers from the Giants on a one-year, $2 million deal. Who's hurt last year? You tell me. And the most puzzling thing out of all of this, the Patriots, I mean, they were sitting in there, and they're like, all right, y'all got to make some moves, right? And what was the one... First of all, you're sitting here and you're watching uh, Matt Judon go 0 for 20, trying to recruit free agents uh, to come to New England and play. But one of the big appeals that they had and like the big fish they really aggressively went after was Leonard Fournette. Leonard Fournette on a team that at the running back position already has Damian Harris. They just used a draft pick in 2021 on Ramondre Stevenson, who's a great player. They have James White under contract until 2024. So you got James White, Damian Harris from Andre Stevenson, and you said, you know what? We're going to look at the offensive side of the ball, and you know what we really need? An $8 million a year running back. What? Like, I get the Patriots have been the Patriots for a long time, and I get the Patriots won a good amount of games last year. But Mac Jones, Brian Hoare, Jared Stidham, a quarterback. And this is just the offensive side of the ball. James White, Damian Harris, Ramondre Stevenson, Devine Azigbo, J.J. Taylor, running backs. Nelson Aguilar, Kendrick Bourne, Devontae Parker, Jacoby Myers, Nikhil Harry, Ty Montgomery, Matthew Slater. 
Hunter Henry, Johnny Smith, Devin Asaisai, Dalton Keene, Isaiah Wynn, David Andrews, Trenton Brown, Yanni Kajust, Michael Nwenyu, Justin Heron, James Ference, and a bunch of fringe rosterable players. That's the offensive death chart for the New England Patriots. They're not a better team. There's a 0% chance right now the New England Patriots are a better team. And maybe they'll wait for the first wave of free agency to come and go, and they'll bring back some other guys, and they'll get some established NFL players on a discount because everybody else will spend their money, and they'll do what they're going to do in the draft. And maybe we get to opening day, and we're like, yeah, you know, they had a plan all along, and it ended up working out, and, like, they're a better team. But there's a 0% chance you can look at what Miami has done for a team that has won the last three in the series. What the Dolphins have done in this offseason versus what the New England Patriots have done in this offseason, there's a 0.00% chance you can look at both of those offseasons relative to where those teams were last year and tell me that the Patriots are better than the Dolphins and that the Patriots got more better or more improved than what the Miami is. You can't do it. You cannot do it. And I'm sure that that'll be an argument that, that is made, and that's fine. You know, it is what it is. But that's the most prominent one for me, is I look at New England, and I look at Miami, and you can't tell me with a straight face that these two teams are even remotely the same. BetOnline.net is your number one source. It's unlike all others just like the Dolphins versus the Patriots. For all your betting needs and sports info, find all the latest sports developments, including this week's Masters Championship odds, podcasts, and reviews for all the different leagues this season. BetOnline is your continued source for all your sports wagering information, including live betting, esports, and scores. Head to the website today or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. Bet online where the game starts. Let's talk about the GD Jets, the New York Jets offseason, um, has been one of, at this point, I would say it's fair to say incremental progress. The Jets are actively in a rebuild. Um, they have some fair questions about uh, prominent positions on the roster. You think about premium positions, right? You think about quarterback, offensive tackle, pass rushers, and corners. Those are the, the, typically your premier positions in the NFL. And the Jets in those phases are, how do, how do I want to put it, uh, largely bad. And that's a, a byproduct of a team that had made the same decision that the Dolphins made not that long ago to actively strip things down and start over and rebuild. And there's no shame in that. But let's just look at the premium positions on the roster. Zach Wilson, Joe Flacco, Mike White, quarterback room. Zach Wilson was a quarterback at BYU who showed electric traits, a lot of ceiling, but I think his floor showcased he had a lot of room to, to grow, and, but he had a lot of work to do to become the player who was physically capable of being because a lot of times at BYU, he had bad process and good results. Well, he goes to the NFL, and magically, bad process becomes bad results because that's usually how players get humbled in this league, right? The offensive tackle position, Mekhi Becton, who the team is seemingly on the outs on already. They, they have been concerned about durability and, and injury availability and how he handled his rehab from this most recent injury that he had and seems to be slow in recovering. Uh, George Fant, Chuma Doga. George Fant had a strong season last year. 
This is a reasonable one-two punch if Mekhi Becton gets things turned around, but they're posturing as though they're not expecting him to get turned around. They've got two really good guards in Elijah Vera Tucker and Lakin Tomlinson. They're good in that front, but those interior spots traditionally are a little less coveted than your offensive tackles. The pass rush room. Carl Lawson coming off a season-ending injury. Uh, didn't get a chance to play a snap. They signed Jacob Martin in free agency, John Franklin Myers, Bryce Huff, Jabari Zuniga, Bradley, and I. Those are your edge rushers for the New York Jets. Carl Lawson coming off an injury, John Franklin Myers, Jacob Martin. Now they did sign Solomon Thomas. We'll include him here. Bryce Huff, Jabari Zuniga, Bradley, and I. Does that room scare you? No, it shouldn't. Not when the, the alternative is uh, Emmanuel Agba, Jalen Phillips, Christian Wilkins at times as a, a base end. Uh, you get your linebacker type, whether it's Jerome Baker that's walked up there or Andrew Van Ginkle. Yeah, and we're good. And then the corners. They signed G.J. Reed from Seattle. He's going to play corner, and that's fine. The rest of the corners on the roster are Michael Carter Jr., whose career achievement to this point is getting trucked by Tua Tungvaloa on third down on a scramble. Bryce Hall. Jason Pinnock, Brandon Eagles, Rashad Wild Goose, Javelin Guidry, Isaiah Dunn, and Justin Hardy. These are the premier positions on the New York Jets. You tell me where they're good. Where are they remotely close to set? Now, the good news is they got a lot of picks early this year. They have two top 10 picks. They have four in the top 40, I believe. I mean, they're, they're loaded right now from a draft picks perspective. But as Dolphins fans know, sometimes you get the bear and sometimes the bear gets you. And the Jets, you got to hit on your picks. Miami's had both experiences in their two years of having that kind of draft capital. 2020 versus 2021 is very different stories. But if the Jets come up empty, and even if the Jets don't come up empty, you got a lot of youth that you're now in, in fluxing, presumably at premium positions. I don't know how well that's going to go for you. So looking at the Jets, the Jets still feel like they're two or three years away, depending on how this year's draft goes. It might be even further than that. And never mind, since we are in the mood and we are talking about the GD Jets, a fresh reminder about the Jets. 2021, fourth place, AFC East, four wins. 2020, fourth place, AFC East, two wins. 2019, third place, congratulations, you beat a tanking Dolphins team. Seven wins. 2018, fourth place, AFC East, four wins. 2017, fourth place, AFC East, five wins. 2016, fourth place, AFC East, five wins. 10 and six, second place, 2015, rock solid. 2014, fourth place, AFC East, four wins. This team's had more than five wins twice since 2014. And I look at what they've accomplished. They gave up 504 points last year, worst in franchise history. Their negative 194-point differential was third worst in franchise history. They're not any better on the defensive side of the ball right now. I see no inspiration or reason to believe that this is a big turnaround for them right now. You should not be threatened by the New York Jets. Nor should you be when you consider the history between these two teams, too. I mean, the Dolphins-Jets' recent track record 
Miami has owned this rivalry. Won four in a row. They won eight of nine. They've won 10 of 13. Yikes. Sad. Hate to see it. But that's, that's the status of the New York Jets. That's who they are as an organization right now. Are you threatened by that? No. Should you be threatened by that? No. We do need to keep a watchful eye on how they manage the 2022 NFL draft. I thought their 2021 NFL draft was nice, but you acknowledged the risks that existed with drafting Zach Wilson, and you saw some of those risks manifest themselves throughout the course of his rookie season, in which case he was, let's just say, uh, worrisome. I think would be the appropriate description for the trend of Zach Wilson to this point in time. Built Bar's protein bar, the taste like a candy bar, and these things are absolutely positively delicious. Top of the first round caliber protein bar. High in protein, high in fiber, low in calories, low in sugar. They have 100% chocolate on all of their bars. And best of all, you can visit built.com. Use promo code LOCK15 and save 15% off your next order. That is built.com. Promo code LOCK15 to save 15% off your next order of the world's most delicious protein bar. So let's talk about that team in Western New York. They made some prominent additions, particularly in the front seven. Uh, Von Miller, they, they bid farewell to uh, multiple starters on the defensive side of the football. Uh, Jerry Hughes, Mario Addison, a couple of mid-30s defensive ends out of the picture. And their response to that was to pay Von Miller buco dollars to come be a Buffalo Bill. Their next two most expensive additions on an APY basis, Daquan Jones, he got $7 million per, and then Tim Settle got 4 and a half per year across two seasons. So two years, $9 million. Three of your biggest cap, or contract commitments, Von Miller, Daquan Jones, Tim Settle. You think they're trying to get the front seven right? Oh, they also brought back Jordan Phillips. That guy. That's right. On the offensive side of the ball, adding Roger Saffold is a good add for them. The question is how well and gracefully Roger Saffold is going to continue to age. I don't have the answer there, but that's the question. That's what we need to look for. O.J. Howard is a prominent addition, but I would also say like the tight end is such an afterthought, or at least it has been historically in this offense. They run a lot of 10, and I know they're trying to revamp the running game. Um, so Roger Saffold and O.J. Howard could be improvements to the running game, and they replaced um, Cole Beasley with Jamison Crowder. It's a reasonable exchange, player for player but they still need that other perimeter receiver unless they're banking on it being Gabe Davis from UCF. So Buffalo, from a personnel perspective, they made some interesting exchanges. Some players in, some players out. They lost Levi Wallace, their CB2. So that'll be interesting to monitor. They lost Harrison Phillips on the defensive tackle, on the nose tackle. So it's like you swapped out John Feliciano for Roger Saffold. On the surface, that's an upgrade. You swapped out Harrison Phillips for Daquan Jones and Tim Settle. On the surface, that's probably an upgrade. You swapped out Mario Addison and Jerry Hughes for Von Miller. When you consider all the defensive ends that they drafted in the last couple of years between Epinesa and Greg Rousseau, like 
Von Miller is a better player than both of those guys. So you could say, okay, like reasonably speaking, like we get a CB2, we have treaded water at worst in a lot of key spots for a team that's been an AFC contender for the last two seasons. But what's interesting to me about Buffalo is this is the first time that coaching attrition has hit the Bills. They have kept largely the entire coaching staff sustained for the last four seasons in Buffalo. But now you got a new offensive coordinator. You got a a coach that was on the staff in a new role as the quarterback's coach, and you know offensive line coach. And you're changing systemic stuff now. What does that look like? That's what I'm most fascinated to see with Buffalo because it's never been a question of, are they going to drop off from a talent perspective? They probably have a three, four-year window from a spending perspective to maintain a really high-level caliber of roster with a premier quarterback on the roster. But if I'm Buffalo, I'm, I'm a little uneasy now where it start, you start to ask the question, like, okay, like, now we kind of feel like we're on the clock. If it doesn't happen soon, we have to then ask the question, well, is it going to happen? That's what, you know, that, that would be in the back of my mind because Buffalo, they were the best team last year. If they beat Kansas City and take care of business in 13 seconds, they wax the Bengals, and they probably win the Super Bowl. But they didn't. And it only counts if you actually do it. So now it's like, okay, coaching attrition has started. How do we respond to that? Does it take a year to assimilate to these new coaches and the new system and the new uh, verbiage and, and all that stuff? I don't know. Now, they've largely promoted from within, so there should be sustainability, but what happens if Brian Dable was the straw that stirred the drink from a play-calling perspective? What happens if these offensive linemen having to learn these new concepts um, makes them more vanilla and they have to, to really dial it back down and they, they get one-dimensional? What happens if Stefan Diggs misses a month or two months with an injury? What happens if Josh Allen gets banged up? If Josh Allen gets banged up, their, their ability to contend falls completely on the running game at that point, and that's not a strength. So Buffalo now having to work with new pieces from a coaching perspective is their big change. That's their big departure. And as we saw last year, coaching matters. Coaching matters a lot. And if you're incapable of having the right people in place, it can really handcuff you. Now, the talent will ultimately transcend a lot of the times, but you might not be AFC conference favorites when it's all said and done. And then that big fat contract you gave Josh Allen is going to start to rear its head down the road a little bit, and you're going to have to make some tough business decisions. And they replaced two old defensive ends uh, with an old defensive end. Bob Miller's no joke intended here, but he wants to be a chicken farmer. He's no spring chicken. He's 33 years old. We'll see. So Buffalo, I think, has done well from a personnel perspective versus the other two teams. I think that the New England Patriots and the New York Jets to this point in the AFC East offseason landscape have not done a good job from a personnel decision yet or position yet. That doesn't mean they won't, but right now, I wouldn't be crazy about those offseasons. I would appreciate the offseason from a personnel perspective if I was a Bills fan, but I'd be apprehensive about the coaching. And from a Miami perspective, you like the plan. You like it a lot. You look at the talent that's been influxed. 
And say what you will about Coach McDaniel and his experience uh, in a head coaching role, lack of, or his experience with only one year as being a true offensive coordinator, because those were my apprehensions for Coach McDaniel, and I would love to be wrong, that they, they're not problematic at all. And if they're not, I'm not going to be mad that I was right or be mad that I was wrong. I want the Dolphins to succeed. And that's the most important thing for me. But you look at the plan and how they've complemented the existing offensive talent and how they retain the defensive talent. But let's, let's see if we can go out and find an upgrade at Mike Linebacker. Let's see if we can get one more person to compete at center or right tackle. Let's get a return specialist. Now let's go. Let's see what happens. Check your pulse, folks. It's going to do it for this week here on Locked on Dolphins. Hope you guys enjoyed. Kyle Krabs, fins up. Make it a good one. Talk to you guys again next week. Fins up.